Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. Tonight's scripture reading comes from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So tonight marks the beginning of what's known in the traditional church calendar as the season of Lent, which is uh, a period of 40 days leading up to Easter. It's actually 46 days, supposed to be 40 days of fasting, and then every week, traditionally, you're supposed to get a day off from the fast. Uh, So 40 days fasting, 46 days in total. And when you hear hear the word uh, Lent, um, you want to think of lengthen. This is where it comes from originally, because Lent happens during the spring, and that's the time when the days lengthen. Um, So you want to think, okay, springtime, this is the time of nature's renewal, right? Nature is getting ready to be renewed, to, to resurrect from its winter slumber. And so traditionally, uh, the church has said this is a time for us to renew spiritually, right? While nature is preparing to renew, uh, we also renew spiritually. Now, you might ask, well, why do we need to do this spiritual renewal every year? If uh, observing Lent is really worthwhile and valuable, then uh, why does it need to keep happening over and over again? Why can't we just be renewed once and then be healthy and holy for the rest of our lives? But I think that's kind of like asking, you know, why do we need to eat? We ate yesterday. Or why do we need to go to bed? We slept last night. Or, you know, why do I need another cup of coffee? I had one last week. Just as our bodies need repeated renewal through rest and food, our spirits need repeated renewal. Um, And one of the things that the church has traditionally done for that renewal is to observe things like Lent, right? So we need this renewal through certain experiences, certain practices, and through being reminded of certain truths. As finite, time-bound beings, we need the repetition. We need the reminders. Like that last song said that we just sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? 
prone to leave the God I love. Uh, We have this tendency to wander away, but there's certain things that we can do, certain practices that help to get us back on the path walking with Christ. Now, traditionally, Lent has facilitated spiritual renewal by reminding us of two key truths. And they are, we are sinners and we are going to die. Kind of gloomy. Um, (laughs) But recognizing these two key things is critical to producing the kind of humility that makes spiritual renewal possible. We are sinners and we are going to die. Now, when I say we need to recognize that we are sinners, I want to be clear about what I mean and what I don't mean. Recognizing that we are sinners does not mean saying, oh, I'm worthless, I'm helpless. Uh, It doesn't mean thinking, oh, there's nothing that I can do to improve or mature or bear more fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's not what it means to recognize that we are sinners. Recognizing we are sinners means recognizing that we have participated in the brokenness of the world. And even if we've had a really good year where we feel like, hey, I've been walking closely with the Lord and, you know, there's no real big sins that I can think back of on, the, on this last year that I made. Like, I, I feel like I did pretty well. Even if we feel that way, this is the time of year when we need to recognize that we are always susceptible to temptation that never completely goes away. You guys probably remember the story of Cain and Abel very early in in the Bible. Um, First two brothers, right? Cain killed Abel. And right before that, God says to Cain, look out, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. It seeks to master you. Sin is always crouching out the door, like a hungry lion that's waiting to pounce. Now, again, important clarification. That does not mean that we are always on the verge of losing the love of God. It's not true at all. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. But we are always one bad decision away from harming our neighbors and harming ourselves. It's important to recognize that. I'm reminded of what James said about the power of our words. He said, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. One small spark can ignite an entire forest, right? And similarly, our words can be like sparks, sparks that ignite fires that burn up our friendships, our marriages, our families, and even entire countries. I'm I'm no expert historian, but I suspect that most wars don't begin with bombs and gunshots. They get there eventually, but they start with words. Right? Words that are used to demonize certain people and to justify and require violence. Words that are used to scapegoat 
and demonize. Words can really set the world on fire. And so we need to remember that it only takes a moment for our sinfulness, our flesh, to rise up and to speak the kinds of words that cause chaos. All it takes is a moment of bruised ego, where that rises up and the words pour out, right? Uh, A moment of deep fear and insecurity, a moment of prideful self-righteousness, right? That's all it takes. All it takes for us to start, start the fire. Because we're sinners, right? We have contributed to the brokenness of the world, and in our, sinful, in our sinfulness, we are all susceptible every day to contributing to it more. And if we're not humble enough to admit this, then we become even more dangerous. Jesus taught about this through a very well-known parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you've been around here long enough, you've heard this. In those days, Pharisees, they were thought of as the good people, the upright people, good citizens. You'd want to live next door to a Pharisee. Now, we have bad associations with Pharisees now, but that's because of certain things that Jesus said uh, about them. But in those days, people liked the Pharisees. Tax collectors, on the other hand, they were considered traitors, traitors to Israel and to Israel's God. So Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector going to the temple. They both pray. And the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But then the tax collector has a very different kind of prayer. He's not even able to look up to heaven, but he beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that it's the tax collector that goes home justified before God, in right relationship with God, not the Pharisee. Because the Pharisee's heart has become proud. He's focused on the sins of other people rather than his own issues. And Lent is a good time for those of us who are in the church to recognize the danger of becoming like the Pharisee, right? We don't want to become like the Pharisee, focused on all the sins out there, right? We don't want to be the kind of people that say, oh God, thank goodness I'm not like all those sinners out there, right? We don't want to get together in our fellowships and just complain about how sinful and worldly everyone is out there. Instead, we need to attend to our own issues. Spiritual renewal begins with us being able to pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me. And then there's that other key truth. We're going to die. The psalmist once wrote, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, help us to recognize that we're on limited time here. These lives that we're we're living right now, they're finite. There's something about this recognition of our mortality that's a key to gaining wisdom. Because recognizing our mortality helps to keep us humble. It helps us to 
recognize what really values most. I mean, if you have just had a brush with death, you're not going to, you know, argue over silly things, right? You're going to know what really matters. Recognizing our mortality helps us, many of us, to prioritize our relationship with God because when we recognize our mortality, we know that we have to look beyond this world to find what, we're really, what we really want, right? Because what we really long for is something eternal. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in our hearts. We are sinners, and we are going to die. And that might not sound like a recipe for spiritual renewal, but the humility that recognizes those truths opens us up to appreciate what Christ has done. And not only that, that humility also enables us to actually grow and to change. You know, when we can acknowledge our sin, we can repent. We can seek to be reconciled with those who we've hurt. We can actually start to address the dysfunction and chaos that we've contributed to. About two weeks ago, Asbury Seminary, or not the seminary, there is an Asbury Seminary, but uh, Asbury University, uh, which is a Christian school, held their usual morning chapel service. And the uh, speaker that morning gave a really simple message about the love of God and about us sharing the love of God uh, through our lives. And uh, I've heard that he actually thought he had really done a terrible job, that he texted his wife afterwards and he said, another stinker or something like that. I'll be home soon. Um, But there was something about the way that God worked through that message that stirred in some of the students' hearts. And there were some students hanging around right after, after the chapel and According to the reports of those who were there, I obviously wasn't there, so I don't know for sure, but there was one student who it really felt led to confess some sin. Um, I don't know if it was a guy or a girl, but he or she confessed some things. And, And the students there say that when this student did that, it was like something in the atmosphere of the room changed. And the worship team felt like, we just need to keep playing. And people kept worshiping. They kept praying for one another. They were confessing things to one another. And that worship service, I think, is still going on now. It's been two weeks now. 24 hours every day. And it's attracted national attention. There are people who have come from all over the country to see what's going on. Um, it wasn't something that was manufactured. It's not something that is being sold. <laughs> it's just something that's happening. Now, only time will tell whether what's going on at Asbury has lasting impact or fruit for the kingdom of God. Um, some people are calling it a revival. I would say that word is a little premature. It takes time to find out if a revival has really happened because a revival is not just an emotional experience that lasts a week, but it's, it's something that causes change for an extended period of time. But I do think it's fair to call what's happening in Asbury an awakening, right? a renewal. It, it's a moment where 
the things that Christians say they believe are suddenly felt in a powerful way, right? We can always intellectually assent to certain ideas, but then there are moments in our lives where suddenly it's like the reality of it hits us with power. Oh, God is really there. God really does love me. Jesus really did die for me, right? And that's what's happening, or what appears to be happening at Asbury right now, and it's leading to this renewal. But isn't it interesting that it seems like the spark of this renewal began with a simple message about the love of God and then a student being willing to be like the tax collector. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then, boom, good kind of fire, right? <laughs> Let's pray this Lent that God would bring that kind of renewal to churches all over the world. As we confess our sin, as we recognize our mortality, and at the same time as we also recognize the love of God given to us through Jesus Christ, the love which is greater than our sin and stronger than death itself. Amen? All right, so in a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession. But before I do, I just want to talk real briefly about the, the practice of fasting. So traditionally, during the season of Lent, uh, many Christians will fast from something. And uh, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not telling you that you have to do this. This is not a requirement. God is going to love you whether you give something up or not. This is an invitation to just consider participating in this ancient practice of giving something up during this time. So rule number one, if you're going to give something up, it should not be something that is inherently sinful. Right? So, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to give up uh, heroin or pornography or something like that for Lent. No, that's something you should, you should give up for good, right? And, but So you don't, you, want, you don't want it to be something like that. You want it to be something that you could potentially return to when Lent is over, right? So social media, uh, soda, alcohol, coffee. Um, obviously, the possibilities are endless, right? And what you're doing when you're giving this up, this thing up, is you're basically saying, I want to express my devotion and my openness to God working in my life by making this sacrifice. But there's a, there's a practical component to it as well. So if you're interested in doing this, this is the question you want to ask yourself. What's something I can fast from that will free up some time, money, or both? Most things that you would give up would do one of those things, right? Free up some time or money. And then, once you've identified something, as you prepare for the next 40 days, you want to ask, what can I do with that extra money or time to help make Earth a little more like heaven? Right? So you, with a little extra time and money, there's all kinds of possibilities, right? 
maybe you can use that extra time to connect with God in prayer or to visit somebody that you know is lonely. It could, need a, it could use a friend. Um, maybe with that extra money, you help to s- support a missionary. Or, uh, again, you know somebody's really in need, and you can bless them by, by giving them uh, a check in the mail or something like that. Um, just try to think through, okay, how can I make Earth a little bit more like heaven with that time or money, that extra time or money? All right. Let's stand together. So I'm going to read this prayer of confession, and as I read it, there will be a few times where there's things in italics on the screen, and I invite you to pray those out loud with me. We confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. Have mercy on us, Lord. We have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us, Lord. We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. We confess to you, Lord, our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of other people. We confess to you, Lord, our anger at our own frustration, and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves. Have mercy on us, Lord. Our intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts, and our dishonesty in daily life and work, have mercy on us, Lord. Our negligence in prayer and worship, and our failure to commend the faith that is in us, we confess to you, Lord. Accept our repentance, Lord, for the wrongs we have done, for our blindness to human need and suffering, and our indifference to injustice and cruelty. Accept our repentance, Lord. For all false judgments, for uncharitable thoughts toward our neighbors, and for our prejudice and contempt towards those who differ from us, accept our repentance, Lord. For our waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us, accept our repentance, Lord. Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us. Favorably hear us, for your mercy is great. Accomplish in us the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world. By the cross and passion of your Son, our Lord, bring us with all your saints to the joy of his resurrection. Amen. All right, please remain standing. Now it's time for the imposition of ashes. In the Bible, ashes usually represent two things, repentance and mortality, right? So there's our our two key themes for Lent, right? I'm a sinner, and I'm going to die. And so the tradition on Ash Wednesday is to have ashes imposed on your forehead as a symbol of your repentance and of the recognition of your mortality. But... 
This is not just a symbol of, of, of sin and death, but it's also a symbol of hope because I will do my best to make it in the sign of a cross because the cross is where Jesus overcame the power of sin and death. And so even as we recognize sin and death right now, we look forward to what we celebrate at Easter, uh, Jesus' victory over those things. So in a moment... Um, well, actually, yes, right now, I'm going to invite you to come forward, just like we would with communion, come up to this table, and I will impose ashes on anyone who would like to receive them.